upstairs doing um, uh, Salvation 201 yesterday, which Raymond McHale was, was actually teaching that class. They did a good job, amen. I think you guys will begin to hear really good testimonies about the growth and about what God is um, uh, just doing through these courses. Um, for me, yesterday in our, in our baptism course, I think, it's, I think it's fitting for today. You guys are going to have to bear with me. I think I'm going to have to shut this down and start it all over. Uh, yesterday in our baptism course, it just felt like God was moving. He's always moving, but, but uh, Raymond came down and talked to me. We kind of debriefed for, for a while, actually, after, uh, after our 201 classes yesterday. And he asked me, you know, how did it go? I asked him, how did it go? And I said, it was, it was interesting how God seemed to be giving revelation, uh, coming up to the class and leading up to the class. But during class, it felt like the Spirit of God was just here. The Spirit of God was just moving. We were all learning. We were all growing. We were all seeing ourselves, seeing our salvation, seeing baptism in, in, a, in a new light. And it was just a, a special time. And I, and I told him, you know, it just, it just feels like, if we could have that, or excuse me, why can't we have that all the time? Every service, every event, everything when we come together to, to glorify God, to, uh, to honor him for who he is and what he's done. Uh, so it was just special. I want to encourage you guys that, that maybe haven't had an opportunity yet to, to get into it. Um, it's a blessing, and it's for you. It ain't for us. It's not for uh, the leadership. It's we got together and said, how can we help people grow? How can we help people go deeper in their relationship with God, see things that they hadn't seen before, make their walk with God more full than it might be uh, at this point? And that's what a lot of today is going to be about. Uh, our service is going to be a little bit different. Uh, we're going to have some, some baptisms later on this morning. As you can see, we don't typically have... It is not, it's not a hot tub, it's not a jacuzzi, it ain't just let's hang out and chill today. But I think that every service is about heaven touching earth in the sense that the word of God goes forth, the spirit of God comes down, we have this uh, pursuit of who God is and what he's doing, right? And we want, we want that kind of communion, that clashing of the heavenly with the earthly, um, but as we look at baptism, I, I feel like this morning there's going to be uh, an additional um, kind of communion and spiritual presence of God, right? We come in and we say, Lord, we know who you are. We want to worship you. God says, uh, whenever my people are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. There's this connection between the heavenly and the earthly. Even though we're earthbound, we get kind of transported in some sense when we worship and when we call on the name of the Lord. But then as we look at, at baptism, right? Not only is there uh, this life of every believer and the church connecting with God in a service, but in baptism, we also see believers connecting with those who have become believers. This embracing of somebody that's already the church, calling in or blessing in or acknowledging those who are becoming part of the church. Not the church in the sense of the way in the city of Brea, but the church in the sense of everybody who is a believer in Jesus Christ who has become the bride of Christ. Right? So you welcome these new folks into that and into that experience, and it's a, it's a special thing. <clears throat> this baptism that we talk about, uh, it should be a community event. 
and for forevermore in this church at least it will be a community event it'll be something where you cannot welcome somebody in you cannot embrace those who are being added to the family if we're not actually together right so Baptism is about the end of one thing and the beginning of something else. And similarly, this morning, we have the end of our, uh, our series on stereotypes, which will lead into, inevitably, the beginning of something else. So the timing is really good to look at what we've been studying, what we've been looking at on our Sunday morning services, and kind of finishing that up and being excited about what's going to be coming here in the near future. Same thing with baptism. This is week four of our stereotypes series. And... <clears throat> we learned that stereotypes are, in the negative sense, kind of what we expect a person to be like, what we expect a person to act like, the, the, the way that we look at somebody and judge them without even needing to hear them talk or know anything about them. There's this negative aspect of stereotypes and stereotyping people. We also looked at uh, what stereotype really means. It's just a copy of the original. So we can look at it in a positive sense. If the original is something good, if the original is something godly, if the original is something that bears good fruit in the lives of other people, well then we should have a good stereotype. We should say, I want to be like that. I would like to be a copy of that original. Stereotyping doesn't always have to be negative, even though that's typically how we look at it. We're used to our experiences of having been stereotyped. We would like to say that this isn't the case, but many of us stereotype others even still to this day. <clears throat> so far, how we've tried to reclaim this, uh, this area of stereotypes and the areas that we've looked at is what it means to be a Christian. In week number one, we said, if you ask the world, well, what's a Christian? You're going to hear some stereotypes about who we are and how we are and how we talk and how we act and if we're hypocritical or if we're genuine, you're going to hear all these stereotypes come out about what it means to be a Christian. But what we said is let's go to the Word of God and see what the original says. Let's see what the, the, uh, the term Christian really means, right? Instead of what we've known it to mean or what people have told us that it means, we want to look at it and see what it really says, right? In Acts chapter 17, verse 6, this is what it said about the first Christians. These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Christians are those who have encountered the living God, given their life to the living God, and have been complete, completely changed from the inside out, and then they literally turn the world upside down around them. That's what the original Christians did. So if you are a stereotypical Christian, that's what you should be doing. I've encountered God. I'm no longer the same. Everywhere I go, things change because I'm changed. I don't see the world the way that I used to. I don't behave the way that I used to. I don't think about myself or my God or other people the way that I used to. And that turns things upside down when I get into environments with people who are just the same as they've always been. That's a stereotypical Christian. Not somebody that goes to church, somebody that doesn't cuss anymore, somebody that says amen and praise the Lord every time you talk to them. That's not a stereotypical Christian. A stereotypical Christian is somebody who's been completely transformed by the love of God. In our series, <clears throat> we looked at uh, things that the stereotypical Christian could do in week one. We said Christians gather and wait. They should always do that. We're gathering this morning. We're waiting on God to do something. 
We expect the unexpected, right? We show up to church and we don't know what's going to happen. We know God's going to be there. God's going to move. But it ain't going to be the same as it was last week. And it ain't going to be uh, the same as it will be next week. Something unexpected is going to happen. This week, did anybody expect Vanessa and her family to get in an accident? No, that's unexpected. But we expect it. So therefore, we give so that these young people can have the word of God preached into their lives. We study so that we can share the truth of the word of God into their lives. We watch that young man come through children's church. Then we watch that young man get into the youth, and we wrestle with him, and we fight with him, and we get angry with him, and he talks during service. <laughs> but we don't give up on him. Amen. We keep preaching the word to him. And then we said, now you're no longer a youth. You're going to be in the young adults, and you are going to learn to serve God as a young man. This ain't wipe your butt for you. This is tell you who Jesus is, and either you're going to serve him or you're not. So then when somebody gets into a car accident, which is completely unexpected, we don't have to look back and say, did we tell him the truth? Did we love him? Amen. Did we tell him how important his salvation was? Amen. I don't have to look back and ask those questions so I can have peace because I know that we've done those things because Christians expect the unexpected. In the, in the negative sense, I preached a message once and it was a little bit morbid. I don't know how many people loved it, but I said, tragedy is an inevitability. It's going to happen. It happened this week to them. It might happen next week to you and it might happen the week after to me. There's not anybody in who, here who lives in this world who can escape tragedy. We've all experienced it to some degree. So you better be prepared for that by saying, how do we lay a foundation of overcoming these difficulties? We do that by expecting the unexpected and saying, God, you're the only one who knows. We don't know. But since you do know, we're going to seek you. Somebody say amen. amen. And Christians, stereotypical Christians, we're always harvesting some kind of fruit. We should be seeing the things that you planted last year should be bearing fruit right now. When you look up here, again, this morning, and you see these, these uh, amazing Christians, just like everybody else in the room, but it was amazing for me to see these people because over a year ago, I sat in a room with leaders from our church, and we said, man, what, what else can we do? How can we help people? How can we encourage people? How can we say to somebody that's uh, like Miss Peach has been saved for, for decades and serving God and raised her children, done all those kind of things, how can we help that person at the same time? You've got a young lady who's, who's uh, in her early 20s, hasn't been married, doesn't have kids, hasn't experienced the things that that other person experienced, but we need to be able to minister to both of them about their lives and about salvation. And we said, you know, God, I feel like God's telling us about these courses. I feel like God says that there's these foundational things that everybody needs to know. And we prayed about it and we labored and we build and we get apps and we put information in there. So when you guys see it as maybe uh, a small thing to see these people up here, for many of us, we're saying, man, look at us harvesting the fruit of the labors of years ago. Harvesting the fruit. Stereotypically, Christians, that's what we should be doing. When you look at your home life, you should be able to look back to decisions you made last year, and you should be bearing the fruit of those decisions this year. When you look at 2018, what you're doing right now, the ground that you're tilling, the seeds that you're planting, the watering that you're doing, if you want to eat in 2018, you better be planting something this year. That's stereotypical. That shouldn't be special Christians. That should just be normal Christians. I want to be stereotypical as a Christian, but I want to know what those who went before me did. In week two, we looked at leadership, and we came against rebellion and undervaluing leaders. We said, uh, leaders are ordained by God. They're given by God. It's God's plan, and it's God's will. We should not rebel against that. We should lift them up. We should not rebel and undervalue what God has placed before us in the sense of leadership. 
We talked about God growing us through leaders and growing leaders as they lead. We shouldn't expect perfection from leaders. We should look at them and say, man, God's doing something in their life. And if God said that person is supposed to lead me for whatever reason, then we're both going to be growing. We talked about how unorthodox God is in, in who he chooses and how he places leaders. Most of us would not choose the people that God has chosen to lead us. <laughs> we would not choose the bosses for sure that God has chosen to be our bosses. But God's in charge. And then we talked about self-leadership. Sometimes you got to lead yourself. Ain't nobody going to get up on Saturday morning and bring you to 201. You need to go. Ain't nobody going to read the app for you. You need to read it. Nobody's going to read the book for you. You got to read it. Nobody's going to pray for you. How many of you would pay a monthly service fee if somebody could pray for you? <laughs> right? It's like, all right, how much is the cell phone bill? How much is, uh, you know, the cable bill? How much is the, the rent or the mortgage? And, man, are we behind on our prayer bill? Because it don't feel like anything's happening. Baby, you pay the prayer bill? That's not how it works, right? Self-leadership. you got to get up and say, look, I need to pray. God wants to hear my voice. And then last Sunday was probably my favorite of, of our stereotype series. We looked at uh, uh, fatherhood, the stereotypical father. And we looked at our father who's in heaven. And the things that we talked about were talking to our father in heaven. We talked about talking to our earthly fathers. I know that was a challenge for many of us. Um, and then we talked about uh, finding spiritual fathers to be able to help us and to guide us and to lead us. So catching us up, this morning what I want to talk about is a stereotypical Christian statement. And there's probably a million of them. You all have probably one in your mind. But, but to me, this one, this one stands out. The stereotypical Christian statement that everything is going to work out. Everything is going to work out. This has become like the go-to quote for us, right? For a Christian, uh, uh, if somebody comes to you and they're going through something, it's like you just pull it out of your back pocket. I got the go-to quote. Don't worry. Everything is going to be all right. When you're going through something, many of us have probably heard that a million times. You come to somebody and you're like, the sky is falling. And you're looking for some direction and some help. And, and the Christian just hits you with the stereotypical, don't worry, everything is going to work out. Many of us say this when we don't know what to say or when we don't want to take the time to really dive into the issues that people are dealing with, right? Somebody hits you with something you're just not prepared for, you just go right to it. Oh, don't worry, it's all going to be okay. God's going to move. God's going to take care of it. Everything's going to be all right. Or if somebody comes to you and they always have drama, don't raise your hand, but how many of us know people that they always come to you with drama, right? I said, don't raise your hand. <laughs> but you know those people, like, as soon as you see them coming, you're like, you try to hit them with it before they get there. Don't even tell me. It's going to be all right. <laughs> God's going to take care of it. Sometimes we just don't have the time or we don't want to take the time. And it's like, man, I don't want to dive into this with you. Just trust God. It's going to be all right. The hope is that. Many of us, when we say it, regardless of if it's the go-to or if we just didn't want to take the time, uh, hopefully, when we say it, we really know what it means and we actually, actually believe it. Somebody say amen. That it's going to be okay. Things are going to be all right. It's going to work out. So regardless of how you use it or when you've used it or when it's been used on you, don't leave here and next time somebody tries to say that, don't stop and say, don't use that quote on me. Talk to me. 
Regardless of how we use it or how it's been used on us, what I want to look at is the original of that statement and see if the way that we use it is a good copy of the original, which means it has worth and it has value and it has power, or if the way we use it is a counterfeit that somebody sold us, right? If you look at the original, the stereotype of that statement, if, it, if we are using it that way, then maybe there's some, some benefit to it. But if along the way, it's been counterfeited and it's been changed and it doesn't hold any value or any worth or any power, and then it's just been handed down to you and you use it, you're using a counterfeit. Many of us know about counterfeits. Mary's first uh, Louis Vuitton purse came from Suriname in South America and cost $12. <laughs> Counterfeit, straight up. Bought her two. <laughs> that ain't the original. That ain't coming out of the factory. That ain't coming off the right printing press. Somebody, I asked somebody, how do you know it's counterfeit? It looks good to me. They're like, oh, you'll find out. It started falling apart within like two weeks. They said you ain't supposed to have like stitches and sewn and all this stuff on, on the actual logo. I don't, I don't know any about that. I told her, I didn't try to lie at least. It's like, baby, I bought you a fake purse, but it looked good for a couple weeks. But this statement, it's funny. That's how it will impact other people's lives though. If we use it in the sense of it being counterfeit, it will have no effect, no power, no wear off. And in a couple weeks, they'll know that it was worthless if you give it to them, all right? Versus the real thing. Like Ray Charles, remember back in the day, Pepsi commercial? You got the right one, baby? It's the real thing. Everything's gonna work out really comes from Romans chapter eight, verse 28. It says this, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. That's really the, probably the, the basis for the statement of everything's gonna work out. What we're saying is, hey look, we know that everything is gonna work for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. If you're a Christian, if you love God, if he called you into his family, then don't worry, everything works for good. You got in a car accident, don't worry about it. It's gonna work out for good. Whether they live or die, it's gonna work out for good. Either somebody went to heaven or somebody has a testimony. It's gonna work out. You lost your job, your job, don't worry about it. You're gonna see who actually really likes you. <laughs> give you a place to live, give you some food to eat. It's gonna work out for good. You lost a relationship, don't worry about it. It's gonna work out for good. God's gonna bring, oh. She's <laughs> like, don't leave me. <laughs> Starts early with the girls, doesn't it? <laughs> It's gonna work out for good. So we say this statement of everything's gonna work out, but does it, is it rooted in this, this idea of uh, trusting God? So I wanna look at a few more verses surrounding Romans 8, 28, that maybe we could see the actual heart of what's being said, and then you can check your heart uh, when we use these kind of words. Instead of just Romans 8, 28, I'm gonna read from 24 to 28. It says, for we were saved in this hope. Say hope. hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot even be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts and knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. So on the surface, this we know all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, what we really think is it just means if you're a Christian, 
Everything's going to work out for you. When it's bad, it's only going to be bad for a season. It's going to turn into good, right? When you're broke, if you wait long enough, there's just going to be money in your account because you're a Christian. But when you look at the rest of the actual portion of Scripture in context, that's not what it says and it's not what it means. And it should be uh, probably it's encouraging for some, but it's also discouraging for others. Those of us who are just waiting for maybe things to turn good can see the difference in, in how these people are waiting. This is what it says, uh, uh, the heart of the statement, everything's going to work out. In this portion of scripture, this is what's actually being said. Number one, because I have a sure hope in what I do not see. Amen. When you say, I know that everything is going to work out, what you're saying is, I am sure. I have a, a hope, even though I cannot see it, I know for sure that it is going to happen. My hope is sure. If I could see it, then uh, it wouldn't really be hope. I can't see it. I don't know what's going to happen a year ahead in your life. I don't know what's going to happen in this season of turmoil in your marriage. I can't see it, but I have a hope that is sure that if you trust in the Lord, it's going to change for the better. My hope is sure. Usually when somebody comes in and talks to me or talks to my wife about something that they're going through and, and what they should do, and it might sound... Um, it might not sound as, as encouraging as they would like it to be. They'll, they'll, ask, they'll ask questions like, well, how do you know? Well, how do you know? Because I'm just sure. I have hope in God, and I've seen him deliver so many times, and I know how he is, and I know how he loves, and I know what he wants. My hope is sure. I have more hope a lot of times for other people in their situation than they have in their situation. So because I have this sure hope in what I do not see, this, this statement may have some power when we use it. Another thing it says that I eagerly wait for it in this scripture. Having hope and just sitting back like, well, when it happens, well, then it happens, and I'll start behaving differently, and I'll start enjoying that. That's not what the statement is saying. It's saying, I have a sure hope, and I eagerly wait for it. Is today going to be the day that it happens? Is this service going to be the service where it happens? Is this opportunity with, within this relationship going to be the time and the season where it happens? I eagerly wait for it. I'm not uh, uh, a downer. I'm not depressed. I'm not waiting for the sky to fall. I'm not waiting for the next bad thing to happen. I'm eagerly waiting for the good things to begin to, tap, to happen, for the change to come. If we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. I will not quit. I will not stop. I'm not going to stop looking for jobs because I don't have a job. <laughs> Where's the hope in that? I persevere, and I eagerly wait for the next opportunity. It says this, I'm lost, but I know the Spirit intercedes on my behalf. Knowing that you don't know or knowing that you are lost, knowing that you are, are losing your direction is not a bad thing if you understand that the Spirit is interceding on your behalf. When this person says, I know that things are going to work out, it's because I have a hope that's sure. I will not quit. I persevere. I eagerly wait for things to change. And I know that I'm lost, but I'm so glad it's not contingent upon me knowing where I'm going because the Spirit is praying on my behalf. It's interceding on my behalf. The Spirit of God is saying, what's best for Vaughn? This is what's best for Vaughn. Let's make sure that what's best for Vaughn is what happens in Vaughn's life. I can say everything is going to work out because I understand that the Spirit is praying on my behalf. That's like me saying, Lord, 
here's exactly what I want. And I think that this is the best thing for me and Mary and our family. I think this is the best thing for our kids. And Lord, I'm praying for it. I want it to happen. And then right on the other side, the Spirit of God is saying, don't listen to him. That ain't what he needs. Father, let's give him this. You know how easy it is to say, I know that everything is going to work out when you know that the Spirit of God will counteract your prayers if they're stupid? <laughs> I know it's going to work out for Mary in her life. I know it's going to work out for our children a lot because even when I'm lost, the Lord knows what I need and he's praying for me. Amen. That's what it says in this scripture. It says this, we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us. When I say to somebody, it's going to work out, don't worry, it's going to be okay. Or when somebody says to me, don't worry, it's going to work out, it's going to be okay. I wonder, do we really know what we're saying? What we're saying is, listen, it don't matter what you do or what you say or what you pray or what I pray. The Spirit of God loves you and he's interceding on your behalf. Is that what you hear when somebody tells you, don't worry, it's going to be okay? Is that what you're saying when you tell somebody, don't worry, it's going to be okay? The God who searches hearts and minds hears the Spirit's request for me. That's what it says. It says there is a God in heaven. If you read your Bible, it says that Jesus Christ, our Savior, has gone back to heaven and he sits at the right hand of the Father. And then it says this, the Spirit of God, because we serve a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that while Jesus is here, you know what it says? It says that, that every accusation that Satan makes against you and makes against me, that, that, uh, that Jesus, excuse me, Jesus uh, uh, strikes that down and tells the Father, those are lies, you know that. Then it says that the Spirit is interceding and praying on our behalf and telling the Father who knows our hearts and minds the truth about us and what, what the will for our lives should be. To me, that's not just like some cool thought to think about. That's the thing that makes me know that everything is going to work out in my life. And then the last part, I know that because I love God and because I've been called according to his purpose, all things are going to work out to the, for my good. Loving God, being in love with this God who's doing these things, giving you a sure hope, giving you an, an eagerness and anticipation about who he is and what he's going to do in your life, knowing that the Spirit is, is interceding and praying on your behalf, and knowing that God, the Father, searches your heart and so, searches your mind and knows that you've been changed and transformed regardless of what it may look like on the outside of your life. Because you know that and you love this God and you know he called you, then I can say to you, hey, everything's going to work out. If some of that's missing, let me be the first to tell you, it might not work out. It might not work out. If you don't love God and you're not called according to his purpose, if you haven't put your hope in him, if you don't understand or believe that there is the spirit of God, that you cannot be saved without that spirit of God, and that he is interceding on your behalf, it might not work out. It might not all be okay. I want to look at somebody who appears to have found this heart of the statement that everything's going to be okay. I think you'll see as I, as I read this short story that you could see it alive in their life. And then again, we just use that to, as a reflection, a mirror to, to kind of look at our lives and judge our lives and the way we think. Listen to this story. It says, Horatio Spafford was a successful lawyer and businessman in Chicago with a lovely family, a wife, Anna, and five children. However, they were not strangers to tears and tragedy. <clears throat> their young son died with pneumonia in 1871. 
And in that same year, much of their business was lost in the great Chicago fire. Yet God in his mercy had, uh, and kindness allowed the business to flourish once more. On November 21st, 1873, the French ocean liner was crossing the Atlantic from the U.S. to Europe with 313 passengers on board. Among the passengers were Miss Spafford and their four daughters. Although Mr. Spafford had planned to go with his family, he found it necessary to stay in Chicago to help solve an unexpected business problem. Sounds a lot like uh, Vanessa's story about all these things that were happening. Business problem, this happened, so she's gone with the four girls and he's home taking care of this business problem. He told his wife he would join her and their children in Europe just a few days later. <clears throat> his plan was to take another ship. About four days into the crossing of the Atlantic, the ship collided with a powerful iron-holed Scottish ship. Suddenly, all of those on, bo on board were in grave danger. Anna hurriedly brought her four children to the deck. She knelt there with Annie, Margaret Lee, Bessie, and Taneda, and prayed that God would spare them if, he could be, if, it, if that could be his will, or to make them willing to endure whatever awaited them. Within approximately 12 minutes, the ship uh, slipped beneath the dark waters of the Atlantic, carrying with it 226 of the passengers, including the four Spafford girls. A sailor rowing a small boat over the spot where the ship went down spotted a woman floating on a piece of the wreckage. It was Anna, still alive. He pulled her into the boat, and they were picked up by another large vessel, which nine days later landed them in Wales. From there, she wired her husband a message which began, Saved alone, what shall I do? Mr. Spafford later framed that telegram and placed it in his office. Another of the ship's per, uh, survivors, uh, Mr. Wise, later recalled Anna saying, God gave me four daughters. Now they've been taken from me. Someday I will understand why. Mr. Spafford booked passage on the next available ship and left to join his grieving wife. With the ship about four days out, the captain called Mr. Spafford to his cabin and told him that they were over the place where his children went down. According to Bertha Spafford, a daughter born after the tra tragedy, Spafford wrote the famous song, It Is Well With My Soul, while on this journey. When we sing this song, when you hear it played on the radio, think about the person who wrote it and what they had been through. To be above the place where your whole family, your wife survives, but your four daughters drown in the ocean while you're back home Listen to what he writes. These are, these are the original lyrics to the song that we sing. It's been remade. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, lest this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of the glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. It is well with my soul, it is well, it is well with my soul. 
For me, be it Christ, be it Christ hence to live. If Jordan above me shall roll, no pain shall be mine. For in death as in life, thou wilt whisper thy peace into my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. But Lord, tis for thee, for thy coming we wait. The sky, not the grave, is our goal. O trumpet of the angel, O voice of Lord, blessed hope. Blessed rest of my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight. The clouds rolled back as a scroll. The trumpet shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well. It is well with my soul. Days after his daughters drowning in the ocean, as a father, knowing there's nothing you can do about it, should have been there with him, wasn't there with him, all these things happening. We're not talking about years later when wounds have healed. We're talking about within days. Here he is on this ship, and what's pouring out of his heart is, because I have a hope that is assured, though I can't see it right now, I know it's there. Because I know that the Spirit of God sees me, knows what's best for me, and knows what's best for my family, because I know that the God who searches hearts and searches minds loves me and I love him and he called me according to his purpose, I can say everything is gonna be all right and furthermore than everything is going to be all right, it is well with my soul. I understand my sinful nature. I understand what God has had to do to save me. I understand that God has saved my daughters. I understand that there's life after this life. Imagine that man coming to you in your time of need, and because you know what he's been through and what he believes, he simply says to you, don't worry, everything is going to be okay. You see the weight that carries? Everything's gonna be all right. See, it's the heart of that statement. It's where it comes from and what it means that has the power to change people's lives. The heart of it is God's heart, faith, hope and love. There's a mother, a grieving mother, that needs that husband to be faithful. Somebody say amen. Can you imagine when he arrives to her, knowing that she survived, but she wasn't able to save one of her four daughters, what the rest of her life potentially could be like without a man that can come in and say, it is well with my soul. It is well with your soul. Our father is faithful. We were at a funeral this uh, Friday, and uh, the minister said, when it comes to um, when we die, nobody knows. We just don't know. God doesn't tell us. The Bible doesn't tell us. The when could be any time. He says, but when it comes to the how we die, you have two choices. He said, you either die in faith or you die in your sin, Period. When you're in faith, it doesn't matter when death comes, you can always say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Yes. David says this in Psalm 51, 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Create in me a clean heart, make it right in my soul. 
Create in me or renew a steadfast spirit within me. This morning, ultimately, all I want to share with you is this hope and this blessed assurance of the peace of God in any situation, in any circumstance, is stereotypical of Christians. After Romans 8, 28 says that we know all things work together for good, listen to what he says afterwards in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all? How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine, nakedness or peril or even the sword? It is written, for your sake, we're killed all day long. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You got to be able to make the whole statement, right? You can't just say it's all going to work out for good because I'm a Christian and it's all, it's all good for us eventually. No, you got to be able to say nothing can separate me from the love of God. If the ship crashes and my whole family dies, it will not separate me from the love of God. If a truck comes out of nowhere and runs over the back end of my car and we don't all make it, nothing will separate me from the love of God. It is well with my soul. I know who my Savior is and I know the world that I live in and the tragedies that take place here. We cannot wait to be baptized. We cannot wait to give our lives to Jesus. We cannot wait. Waiting will actually uh, strip you of the opportunity to believe. In the Bible, if you read through Revelation, it says when all hell is breaking loose and every believer has been joined with God and non-believers are left here to endure the season of tribulation, you know what it says? That they're dying, they're killing each other, stars are falling from the skies, and they still won't believe. They go hide in a cave and say, I'd rather die. It's not that they don't want to believe, it's that they no longer can because they've grown so numb to God and to his love and to his power that they can't believe even though they want to. We cannot wait when it comes to God calling us. If you're called according to uh, his purposes, respond. I'm going to transition a little bit. This is a story that we talked about in our Baptism 201 class yesterday. We see salvation colliding with baptism. This idea of don't wait. There's no time to wait. And I think it's going to lead us into our time of worship and prayer and, and baptism this morning. Um, this story is in the book of Acts chapter 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. It's a desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all their treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship. Say worship. worship. He was returning. So like you and I, he came into a place to worship, and then he knew that he would be returning. You're going to leave out of this place in a few minutes. Hopefully you came to worship God. You came to hear from God. You came to uh, remind God that you love him, right? And then you're going to leave just like this man. He came down. Wanted to worship, went to Jerusalem, and, and uh, was going to be returning. Sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. The spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake the chariot. Philip ran to him, heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, and said, do you understand what you're reading? 
And he said, how can I unless somebody guides me, right? So a lot of things that we've talked about are, are coming true in this story. He's coming to worship, but after he's done worshiping in Jerusalem and on his way back home, he's reading Isaiah. You have to leave here and read. <laughs> you have to leave here and open your Bible. You have to leave here and go to app and start a course. You have to leave here and, and turn on the radio to a Christian station and actually listen to something that can uh, edify you and change you and grow you. These things don't just happen. You have to actually pursue God. So he's doing that, and it says that God sent somebody to help him. You know when you start doing something, God will send people to help you? If you sit around doing nothing and ask God to help you, it might not work out. He says, do something. So he's doing something. He goes to worship. He starts reading. We said that we need to find spiritual fathers that can help us, lead us, and guide us. Philip, a spiritual father for him, comes alongside of him at the chariot and says, do you understand what you're reading? Do you know what you're supposed to do? Do you know what that means? Do you know how to apply that into your life? He says, how would I know unless somebody helps me? See, he knows he's lost, but he's trying to be found, Right? He asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture where he read was this. He was led as a, sleep, uh, a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth? So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or some other man? He's saying, look, how many, I can't tell you how many times I've told people, read your Bible. Do you read your Bible? Do you have a Bible? Are you reading it? No, I just don't understand it. I've never read before. The language is too hard for me. We've all been there. But it doesn't matter. Stop saying that. Start reading it. This man tells Philip, hey, listen, I'm trying to read, but I have no idea what this means. Is he talking about himself? Is he talking about somebody else? Are we talking about God? Are we talking about a prophet? Are we talking about new covenant and salvation? Are we talking about old covenant or Old Testament and the law? He says, I don't really understand, but he still was trying, and God comes to give him revelation. I promise you, if you try, God will give you revelation. God will help you. Who is he talking about, himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at that scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, then you may. He answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. The things that we talked about yesterday, the thing that I want to share with you about this particular story is God was calling this, this Ethiopian to salvation. We see it clearly. The reason he went to church, the reason he went to Jerusalem was to worship. He didn't really know who God was or what had been done with it for him, so he was searching. He was reading the scriptures. Many of us, that's my testimony, I was coming to church before I knew who God was and definitely before I was saved. I wasn't really looking for him. I was just looking for something good. But I was searching. So I was coming to church just like this man was coming to church. Then God began to reveal who he is through his word and what he's done and what he has for me. Same thing with this man. Listen to this one single chariot ride. 
leaving church, on his way home, reading his Bible, God comes in and begins to clarify about who Jesus is, the lamb that was slaughtered for us, the blood that was shed for us. In this one ride, he comes to know who Jesus is. He understands that Jesus has been calling him. That's why you've been coming to church. That's why you're trying to read my word. I'm calling you. You're not looking for me. I'm looking for you. I'll send somebody to tell you who I am because I want you. I want you. I love you. You don't have to die like this. You're going to go back to Ethiopia to be a treasurer. I want to make you a king. <laughs> he understands who Jesus is, and, and we don't see it in the scripture, but we know what happened because it's inevitable. He gives his life to Jesus in this chariot, in this, in this uh, communication with, with Philip because he sees water. So Philip told him who Jesus is and what it means to be baptized. He sees water out the window of the chariot and says, I, I see water right there. Why can I not be baptized right now? And all Philip said to him is, if you believe with all your heart, you can. He said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And the same moment he gets saved is the same moment he gets baptized. Amen. You know why? Because there isn't supposed to be a separation. What it's supposed to be is, look, wherever I am when I find out who Jesus is and who he wants to be for me, from wherever that moment, that point in time is, I give everything to him and he gives everything to me. And from that moment on, I can say what? It is well, it is well with my soul. It doesn't matter what happens when I get back to Queen Candace. It doesn't matter what happens when I get back to work next week. It doesn't matter what happens when I, when I run into my husband later on tonight. It doesn't matter when I, what happens when I get home and tell my wife what happened at church. None of that matters. All that matters is from this point on, Jesus has all of me and I have all of him. And I'm going to submerge myself into the things of God into the spirit of God, into the will of God. I'm not going to tiptoe around. Imagine if the Bible read this. Philip told him who Jesus is, and, and he says, you know what, I love this man, Jesus, and I'm going to give my life to him. That's what I've been looking for. That's why I came all the way down here. And you know what? I'm going to just go ahead and go on back home. And next time I come back in a while, we'll talk more about maybe what's the next step. <laughs> right? Oh, I got to get back to Ethiopia, but when, but when I come back, yeah, you can tell me. I know you've mentioned something about baptism. We'll talk about that later. That's not the story. The story is, I know who Jesus is. I believe he's calling me. I want to be saved. I'm giving my whole life to him. He's given all of his righteousness to me. There is no turning back because we understand the value of what's been offered to us. When you know what's being offered to you and you know what it's worth, you're willing to invest into it, right? If somebody, you know, if you look back at, at business relationships, it says that Steve Jobs started uh, Apple like in his garage. Can you imagine how many people he came to and said, hey guys, I'm starting this new business. It's gonna be computers. Where are you starting at? Oh, in the garage. What's it gonna take to be a part of it? Honestly, I just need like 100 bucks. 100 bucks and you can, you can kind of be a part of this, come by the garage, see what we're doing. You know how many people didn't see the value in that? Same thing with Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook, right? Bill Gates and Microsoft. The issue is, is that they couldn't see the value in what was being offered to them, so they didn't invest into it, right? If you could be in that situation knowing what the value is, how much would you have been willing to give of what you had? You know what the reality is? I can say this for sure. No matter how much money any of us have in the bank right now, if all of a sudden the world just rewound, and we were standing in front of Steve Jobs' garage, and he said, you willing to invest in the Apple? I'd be like, man, every dollar I got. 
It don't matter how much. Everything I got is definitely worth what I know I'm going to get in return. Does that make sense to anybody? Somebody say amen. There has never been a person saved by Jesus Christ who, to some degree, did not understand that what was being offered to them was worth everything they had. The issue is this. When you first get saved and you realize that he's offering you salvation from all of your sin, all of your filth, all of your bad decisions, all of your history, you realize that what he's actually saying to you is, I'm going to give you my perfect life for your sinful life. When you realize that in that moment, if, if you knew what he was actually asking, I don't think, I think a lot of us are ignorant because I can remember what it was like when I got saved. I didn't really know what was happening. He just did it to me kind of thing. But I know now that what he was actually saying to me is, you can have mine and everything that comes along with my life, and you can have it forever. But the cost is everything. You don't get to keep anything. It, everything that you have, everything in your account, every relationship you have, every dream you had, the cost is everything. Not 99%, not most of. What the church in many instances has done out of ignorance is that we've told people you can have all of Christ without giving all of yourself. And that's why people often don't get baptized because they know that baptism, for whatever reason, we all know that that has something to do with giving everything. So what people have begun to do is take all of Christ or think they've taken all of Christ and then they hold on to their own stuff until they say, I'm ready to give him more. That's not how it works, church. It works like this Ethiopian eunuch. Philip comes in and says, this is who that scripture is about in Isaiah. It's about Jesus. And this is what he's done for you. And you can have all of it. But I got to tell you right now, Mr. Ethiopian, it takes everything you got. The Ethiopian says, I know the moment. I know what's being offered to me. I see water right there. I want to give everything right now. And then he says, listen, I understand you want to get in on the ground level. You think you're talking to Steve Jobs or Bill Gates. But just so we're clear, even though you want to give everything, do you know who you're giving it to? Do you understand who Jesus is? He's not a prophet. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a good teacher. He is the son of God, born of a virgin, came down out of heaven, became a man, humbled himself to become a man so that he could pay the price for your sins. He's gone back to heaven. He's preparing a place for every believer that would put their trust in him. And at some point in time, just like the man who wrote it as well with my soul, the skies are going to be rolled back like a scroll and he is going to be coming on the clouds for those who belong to him. Are you giving everything to him? He says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. He said, well, let's get out and get baptized. Don't let me and don't let the church lie to you. It costs you everything. Initially, when we first get saved, many of us feel like, man, let's just tell people like the best parts and let's just walk them through it. Let's just be patient with people. And, and once God gets a hold of their heart, well, then they'll be ready to tell them the real truth about it. No, straight up, right off the bat. You willing to give everything? No. Well, then you probably don't really understand what Jesus has given for you. For you. Let's just keep praying. Amen. Let's just keep hearing the word. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. If you hear the word of God long enough, the, the revelation of who Jesus is and what he's done for you will be made clear, and then it'll just be up to you. Right. Is it worth everything? Amen. Worship team, would you come? <clears throat> We're going to 
sing a little bit more together, and we're going to pray with, with those who are going to be, be getting baptized this morning, and, and it's going to be this engaged experience with, with all of us. But before we do that, matter of fact, why don't we all stand? It's going to be uh, the way that God's been just kind of putting it into my heart and putting it into to my mind and into my spirit is, is that this is not an experience for just those who are being baptized. This is, this is the church, all of us. Um, in this moment and in this experience. But I want to ask, before we do that with them, are there any this morning that even right now would just say, uh, I, know, I know what Jesus is offering me, but I've never, I've never given all of myself to him, right? Like, we come to church because somebody told us about Jesus. We come to church because we know that we're longing for something that we believe that God might have. You know, this, this Ethiopian eunuch, it says that, you know, he came all the way from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship, right? He wasn't a believer yet, but he knew that there was something there, and it was worth the trip. It was worth the travel. He went looking for God, and the funny thing is that he left the place of God, the city of God, and the people of God without having received it yet. But then... He's able to have God revealed to him in his car and give everything to him. This morning, I think many of us have traveled maybe great distances in our lives looking for him. Many of us know that he's out there and know that uh, we need him, but we've never just had it revealed to us in a way. And it's not something that I reveal. It's something that the Spirit of God reveals to you that, hey, this is really who he is. If you know that you're not saved, and you know that because you don't feel the Spirit of God alive inside of your life, you still feel like you're carrying the burden of sin, you still feel like you're unforgiven, you still feel like uh, you've never given God what he deserves. Listen, you can't give him what he deserves in the sense of being a good person, but you can give him what he asked for, which is all of your life, so that you can have all of his life. That's it. That's what it cost today. That's what it cost a thousand years ago. That's what it will cost tomorrow. That's what it will cost five years from now if you continue to deny him. No matter when you come to God, he's going to say, you can have me, but you got to give me everything. We're not going to separate what you think are the good parts from the bad parts. <laughs> our sin has permeated our very souls. It cannot be separated from our minds and from our hearts. The only way is for it to be delivered, for us to give that away and take on the mind and the heart of God. That's why David said, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. So before we get into the church thing, for those that aren't part of a church or are part of the church of God, are there any that would say, you know what, I know I need to give him everything and I want to be saved. I want to do that right now. I want to, I want to ask Jesus to come into my heart the same way that he, he came into that chariot. I want him to come into my chariot. I want him to come into my heart and save me. I'm willing to give everything today. Anybody? I see you. Anybody else? Raise your hand. It's all it costs is everything. For many of us, what we had wasn't that valuable anyway. Give it up. Anybody else? I see you. Anybody else? Willing to give everything to Jesus. Amen. I see you. It's a worthwhile investment. 
It'll change everything. Your eternity will be forever changed from this moment. If I can rewind and be back in front of Steve Jobs' garage, and he says, how much you got? And I say, I got $87. And he says, you want to give it all to be part of, of Apple? I'd say, no, I'm, I'm giving it all to Jesus. <laughs> it ain't a lot, but that's all he asked me for is everything I got. Anybody else, give it all to Jesus this morning? There's been three. Anybody else? Today's your day. Hallelujah, Lord. Lord, we thank you for them. <clears throat> we thank you, Lord, that uh, you still meet people wherever they are. If they seek, if they're looking for you, Lord, you're not hard to be found. Same way you sent one to minister and to help and to guide in a desert road for a nameless man in our Bible, Lord, but you knew him by name. You loved him. You cared about him. Of all the things that you're holding together, of all the things that you are responsible for. You love every single one. You saw him. You knew that he was seeking. You knew that he was confused. And on a desert road, you met him. That you would be able to save him, Lord. This morning, for the three, we thank you for them, Lord, that in their desert road, in their place of being lost, in their, in their trip to Jerusalem this morning to worship, Lord God, that they were able to find you that you would reveal yourself. There's no God like you. There's nobody who loves us the way that you do, Lord God. So we thank you for their salvation, and we ask that you would just help them to go all in, that you would help them to lay everything down, that you would help them to know that there's no difference, that there is no process, there is no step taking when it comes into relationship with you. It is literally jumping into the deep end of the love of God, Lord. Let them have that experience. Don't let them hold off on it. Don't let them wait for another time or another day or another season, Lord. Let them leave everything behind this morning and take all of you with them, God. So, this morning we have a, a special couple of, of young ladies that we are going to be uh, uh, baptizing. So I'm going to come to the front for a minute, and then we're going to kind of just let them uh, enjoy this process. Um, we're going to give them a hat even to start. Sherry and her daughter Alexis are going to be getting baptized this morning. So you guys can just stand. Stand there for just a moment. You're fine right there. <clears throat> so a while back, they came and talked to me. They came and talked to Mary, and they said that they're uh, uh, not only very ready to be baptized, but said that they desperately want to be baptized. You know, it's, it's, it's rare that, you know, sometimes we're trying to lead people into baptism, but this is, this is like the story of, of the Ethiopian eunuch where he just cries out and says, I see the water. I know what it represents. I know what God wants to do. What prevents me from being baptized? And that's the feeling I had when they came to me, when they came to Mary and, and said that this is something that they wanted. Um, so it was powerful. It was special. Since then, we've been talking. Uh, they, they went into the, the app and did the... Uh, baptism course in there. They came this Saturday and sat with us and learned with us and prayed with us about baptism. 
And, and even then, I talked to the leaders and, and we said, when it comes to baptism, we're hoping people go through the course and go through that process and want to get baptized at the end. But we knew going into our courses that when the Spirit of God tells somebody, I want you, I love you, you belong to me now, your soul, it is well with your soul from here on out, that there is no scheduling and no courses that we could put into the way of that. When God says, give me everything, and somebody says, I want to give everything, we just get out of his way. So we're honored honored to be a part of uh, what's taking place in you guys, to be witnesses of that, but also uh, what we're doing today with your baptism. There's some things that we want to do, but I want to ask you, I'll, I'll give you a microphone if you do, but is there anything that you'd like to share, anything that either one of you want to say? Okay, 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 praise the Lord. So here's what we're going to do, church. We're going to worship and then we're going to pray. And then we're going to worship. And then we're going to pray. What I want you to understand about what's happening today, I started the service off by saying this. A lot of times when we come into church, I, I start with an individual. We come to church and we say, look, I'm here for you today, God, right? So we come, it's like, Lord, I think we could hear it and sense it in Vanessa's voice when she came and testified. Like, God, if nobody else was here today, I'd be here today. Because as an individual, I need you and I want to worship you. This is the house of God that you've, that you've called me to worship in, so I want to worship you. We see that as an individual. Then as a church, we always say, look, where two or three are gathered, there he is in the midst. We come together and say, collectively, we want to just shout unto you, Lord. We want to hear you speak to all of us. We want to hear the message that's for us. And then what I said is, in an opportunity like this, as people are being baptized, it's not just vertical, it's horizontal. So when I ask you right now and say, hey, will you worship together? Can we pray together? I want you to really understand that this is as significant for you as it is for them. As a church, it's like this. If, if one of your families said that they were adopting a child today, your immediate family, there's a nucleus of five of you, and they're adopting a child. Not engaging in what we're engaging with today would be like saying to your brother or your mother or your dad, that's not significant to me. I'll meet that kid when I get back home. I'm going out with my friends. I'm going out to lunch. I'm glad we're adopting somebody, but I'll be back. You know, I, I plan to go to Vegas this weekend. That sounds so ridiculous to us, but when somebody's getting baptized, I think we sometimes have that same kind of thought in our mind or in our heart that this is about them and it's not about us, that we're not connected. There is only one bride of Christ. There is only one church. We meet in a whole bunch of different locations. We speak in a whole bunch of different languages. We're on every nation all over the planet, but there is only one church, which means as they are brought into the family and the church of God this morning through this baptism, not only are they becoming our brothers and our sisters, they're getting a bunch of new brothers and sisters, but when we unite in heaven, they've got brothers and sisters all over the world. It's important to us, church. It's important. So as we worship, worship God in light of this. Worship God in light of it. He is our father, and these are our sisters. So engage. Don't disconnect. Engage right now. It'll just be a few minutes. We're going to worship. We're going to pray. We're going to worship. We're going to pray, and then they're going to be baptized. Amen? Amen. Amen. You guys can just stand here. Amen. Amen.